Right, morning everybody. It has been fun with lots of all with lots of the uh, the technical things, but the the good thing is that we gather to God and um and he loves us just being here regardless of whether all the videos work or not. So um so it's good to be together this morning. Uh we're gonna be in Acts 15 if you want to grab a Bible and head head there. Uh while you're turning there, if you missed um Al last week or if you were at the in-person, then um then Paul and Barnabas have been on their first journey preaching the uh, gospel and they've made their way back, um, strengthening the churches as they return and they eventually end back up in Antioch, which is the same place that they started from. And they're just there kind of encouraging, strengthening the church. And then we get to Acts 15, which is where we are picking up uh, today, starting at verse one. But some men came down from Judea and were teaching the brothers that unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. And after Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and debate with them, Paul and Barnabas and some of the others were appointed to go up to Jerusalem to the apostles and the elders about this question. So being sent on their way by the church, they passed through both Phoenicia and Samaria, describing in detail the conversion of the Gentiles and brought great joy to oh, all the Samuel, brothers. could you please do me a favor and close the toothpaste? when they came to Jerusalem they were welcomed by the church and the apostles and the elders and they declared all that God had done with them but some believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees rose up and said it's necessary to circumcise them and to order them to keep the law of Moses the apostles and the elders were gathered together to consider this matter and after there had been much debate Peter stood up and said to them brothers you know that in the early days God made a choice among you that by my mouth, the Gentiles should hear the word of the gospel and believe. And God, who knows the heart, bore witness to them by giving them the Holy Spirit, just as he did to us. And he made no distinction between us and them, having cleansed their hearts by faith. Now, therefore, why are you putting God to the test by placing a yoke on the neck of the disciples that neither our fathers nor we have been able to bear? But we believe that we will be saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus, just as they were. And all the assembly fell silent and they listened to Barnabas and Paul as they related what signs and wonders God had done through them among the Gentiles. After they finished speaking, James replied, brothers, listen to me. Simeon, uh, which is Peter, Simeon's related how God first visited the Gentiles to take from them a people for his name. And with this, the words of the prophets agree, just as it's written. After this, I will return and I will rebuild the tent of David that's fallen. I will rebuild its ruins and I will restore it, that the remnant of mankind may seek the Lord and all the Gentiles who are called by my name, says the Lord, who makes these things known from of old. Therefore, my judgment is that we shouldn't trouble those of the Gentiles who turn to God but should write to them to abstain from the things polluted by idols and from sexual immorality and from what's been strangled and from blood. For from ancient generations, Moses has had in every city those who proclaim him, for he is read every Sabbath in the synagogues. So long passage, um, but let's go through it and, and figure out what's going on. So Paul and Barnabas are in Antioch and uh, a group comes up from Jerusalem saying that Gentiles, people who aren't Jewish, people like me, probably people like most of you, um, they need to be circumcised to be saved. Right? They have to follow the law of Moses and believe in 
Jesus. And this causes some, some fiery arguments. Luke puts it pretty politely when he says no small dissension and debate, right? There's a bust up and the church sends Paul and Barnabas and a few others down to Jerusalem to get some answers and some clarity. And, and so they head down there and, and tell them all that's been going on. But unfortunately, um, they find that others from a group of Pharisees um, has, has got some influence in the Jerusalem church too and are saying the same thing. And just before we carry on, I think it's worth noting as well that these, these Pharisees, they're not evil. They're not out to destroy the church, to stop the Gentiles from worshipping Jesus, right? Luke, in verse 5, Luke calls them believers. He calls them Christians, right? They're, they love the church. They love Jesus. In fact, their conversion to Christianity has probably cost them a huge amount. They, they'd have been ostracized from their wider community, right? They're, they're believers. They're not evil, but they are mistaken, um, badly mistaken. And so there's this huge debate, again, about how Gentiles are saved. And there's two, kind of two questions that's being, that are being, uh, being debated. Question one, right, do Gentiles, people like us, need to do or have anything else to be saved other than faith and grace? Do they need to become like Jews to be saved? Do they need to be circumcised? That's question one. Question two, if the answer to question one is, is no, they, it's just faith and grace, they don't need to do anything else then how do Gentiles and Jewish believers live in community with one another? So eventually Peter, he stands up and he starts answering that first question. He, he tells the story of, of Cornelius that we read back in Acts 10. And he says that God made no distinction between uh, Gentiles and Jews then. He, he poured out his spirit on Cornelius and his household just the same as he did at Pentecost. Because crucially, God had cleansed their heart by faith, right? And that's the first part of the answer to question one. The Gentiles need circumcision of the flesh to be saved. No, they need faith in their hearts. And Peter then goes on and he, he questions the Pharisees and asking, you know, why are you putting a heavy yoke, a heavy burden on the Gentiles that the Jewish believers and, and their ancestors couldn't, couldn't bear? Right? It doesn't sound very much like the offer that Jesus gives in Matthew 11 does it Jesus doesn't say come to me because my yoke is hard and my burden is heavy he says come to me because my yoke is easy and my burden is light and uh Romans 3 it tells us that the law of Moses was never intended to lead to salvation it was never intended to justify anybody it was given in fact to show that we're simple to show that we need to be saved that we need a savior um and, and Peter's kind of asking, he's like, that saviour's here now. Why, why do you want to go back to the, the law, the thing that could never save in the first place? The saviour's come. Um, you know, it, it was never intended to save. And then he gets to the kind of second part of his answer, which is, we believe that we, the Jews, will be saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus, just as they, the Gentiles, will. So it's grace, grace alone. The Jews are saved by grace. The Gentiles are saved by grace. So question one, do Gentiles need anything else other than faith and grace to be saved? Do they need to be circumcised? Do they need to be made like Jews? No. As Paul says in Ephesians 2, for by grace you have been saved through faith. 
It's not your own doing. It's the gift of God, not a result of works so that no one can boast. We are saved by grace through faith in Jesus. So that's Peter's answer to question one. And then um, Paul and Barnabas jump up and they, they say, why are we even having this argument? Right? We've, look what God's done already. You know, this, this is a pointless argument. We've seen God do this. We've seen, them, we've seen him save the Gentiles. And so James jumps up as well and he kind of chips in. And James is, um, he's an elder of the church in Jerusalem. He's probably the leader, the lead elder. And he's also Jesus's brother. So he, he kind of knows what he's talking about. He has some, um, some authority and some experience. And he agrees with Peter. And then he shares this, this prophecy, uh, which is taken mostly from um, the book of Amos in the Old Testament. And the point that he's trying to make um, is that this was God's plan from the very start, right? The, the Gentiles, the, God's plan was always for the Gentiles to be added in to his people. That was, that was always the plan, is from the very beginning, day one, God's intention, Gentiles are going to be saved um, as well. So he, his final decision in verse 19 is that we shouldn't trouble the Gentiles who turn to God. No circumcision, no law. Faith grace, that's it. So now, right, Gentiles don't have to be circumcised to be saved. So how are they supposed to be a church together with Jewish believers? How are they supposed to be a community, a family, a body? Right. Um, and and this is a bit of a generalization, I suppose, but I don't think we generally do community very well in the West. He's not talking about how they turn up on a Sunday together or how they do a Wednesday school group, right? He's, he's talking about how they are in one another's everyday lives together, eating together in each other's homes, right? Imagine sitting around a table. How can a Jew and a Gentile sit around a table together while the Gentiles there eating rare steak and pork, right? It's offensive to the Jewish believer. And James's answer kind of looks slightly confusing at first because it kind of looks like he's saying in verse 19, you don't have to be circumcised. And then in verse 20, but you do have to do all of these other things. Um, but what he's actually doing is answering that second question, right? Because the Gentiles are a people of grace, because they have been saved by grace, they should gladly and willingly limit their freedoms and choices for the sake of their Jewish brothers and sisters. And again, just to be clear, like clearly sexual immorality is a slightly different, a slightly different kettle of fish in this list, right? James isn't saying that um, you can be as sexually immoral as you want, as long as you're not trying to be in unity with your Jewish brothers and sisters, right? Um, and I, I've read a few different commentaries um, just to try and understand why that's included. And the consensus seems to be uh, that the Gentile associated with sexually immoral similar things polluted by us one, or that it was so ingrained in their culture, so pervasive in their culture and their lives that they wouldn't even have thought twice about it. It was just normal. It's just normal practice to them. Um, so either way, clearly it warranted some kind of special emphasis. Um, but there are kind of two reasons, I think, why the Gentiles, why we should be willing to limit our freedoms. 
And the first one is for the sake of unity, right? As we said, for Gentile and Jewish believers to be in family together means that the Gentiles should stop eating food which has been strangled or has blood in it or has been offered to idols, right? There's nothing wrong with any of those things. Uh, Peter, back in Acts 10, um, before he goes to Cornelius, he gets a vision from God that says, don't call common what I have called clean. And then, in fact, Paul, in um, 1 Corinthians 8, he tells us that it's okay to eat food offered to idols. But he also tells us that we shouldn't if it causes someone to stumble, right? And he does the same thing in 1 Corinthians 9 and in Romans 14 and 15, right? So the first one is for the sake of unity. We should be willing, and the Gentiles here should be willing to, to sacrifice, to limit their own freedoms for the sake of um, unity with their Jewish brothers and sisters. And then the second thing is, is for the sake of mission, right, for our witness. And that's actually, I think, what James, uh, James is saying in that verse 21, right, there are Jews in every city. You want to reach them with the gospel, you have to restrict your own choices for their sake. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 9, he says, to the Jews, I became as a Jew in order to win Jews. And skipping down, to those under the law, I became as one under the law, that I might win those under the law. To those outside the law, I became as one outside the law, that I might win those outside of the law. Right, we win people to Christ by limiting our own freedoms where they might cause offence or a barrier. Um, when I went to Burundi a few years back, one of the things that Donna mentioned to me when we were talking about the possibility of going was that um, was that I couldn't wear shorts. And honestly, I was slightly uh, incredulous. <laughs> Man, Burundi is in Africa in comparison to the UK is hot, right? <laughs> um, and I already have some extra padding and some extra insulation. Uh, shorts are pretty much an essential for me, even in the UK, right? Let alone in, in Burundi. Um, but in the communities we were working with, right? Boys wore shorts, not, not men. Shorts are for children, not for adults. And you might all be sat here thinking, well, Callum's pretty much a child anyway. But if we wanted to be respected as, <laughs> I see people nodding. But if we wanted to be respected as adults, and more importantly, if we wanted to have our words respected, have the gospel respected, right, and heard, we needed to be, I needed to be in trousers. So that's what I wore. There's nothing wrong. We all know this. There's nothing wrong with wearing shorts. I wear shorts all the time. It's not, I'm wearing shorts right now. It's not sinful to wear shorts but I restricted my freedom that I might better win people with the gospel um, for the sake of mission. And another current example, I think, actually, and perhaps a controversial one, uh, is Mark, for a moment. Requirement to, to wear them ends tomorrow. Government said it's up to us to make our own personal choices of when to wear and not to wear, but we have the freedom to choose. And just to be clear, I'm not going to say we should or shouldn't, right? I've not, I've not even figured out what I'm thinking yet. But I, I do want to ask what your and my response um, might tell us about our hearts and about our understanding of grace. Right? I know for myself that my initial reaction was, great, finally. Right, I am never putting on a mask again. No more face sweat, no more steamy glasses. My choice, don't care what anybody else thinks. And my reaction, frankly, shows 
but I have not yet understood what it means to be saved by grace, what it means to be a person, a people of grace, right? Whether wearing a mask is right or wrong is not really the point. The point is that I thought of myself first and I thought of everybody else second. I, you know, initially I wasn't even willing to entertain the idea that giving up my freedom might benefit somebody else. What does it tell you and your understanding of grace? So, right, here it is. We are a people of grace. Because of this, we shouldn't place extra burdens or requirements on ourselves or on others for salvation, for them to encounter Jesus, for us to be a Christian, right? It's so easy to push our preferences, our traditions onto other people. You want to be a Christian? Great. You have to dress like this. You shouldn't drink alcohol anymore. And you definitely can't listen to rock music because it's the devil's music, right? And like the Pharisees I mentioned earlier, it's not necessarily evil. It's, it's often done with the best intentions at heart, but it is mistaken. We are saved by grace through faith. Grace and grace alone is what we must preach to ourselves and to others. And again, we are a people of grace. Restrict our own freedoms for the sake of others, not least because this is exactly what our Savior did for us, right? He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death even death on a cross. Jesus gladly and willingly restricted his own freedom. He laid down his life for our sake. Let's learn to be like him. Let me just pray to finish. Father, you have saved us by grace that we were dead in our sin and by your spirit you awoke us lord you put life in us in our dead cold hearts you breathed life lord it is a gift from you lord it's nothing we did it's nothing we earned it's not the way we dress or act or behave father it's a gift of grace that we know you that we are in this family this body that we have been forgiven all our debts but it's because of grace and we thank you for that this morning lord jesus we thank you for the cross we thank you that you took the punishment we deserve that you um, bore our sins that you became sin for us Lord Jesus, we worship you for the cross. And Father, I pray that as we better understand your grace, you would change and soften our hearts to think of others before ourselves. Lord, would you help us to truly understand what it means to be saved by grace, that it would shape how we love others, that it would shape how we are willing to, to lay down, our, to limit our own freedoms and choices 
for the benefit of others, Father. I pray that we would do that within Gateway, within our body, Lord, that where others from different cultures and traditions and backgrounds, um, that we'd be willing to, to um, limit our freedoms, our choices, Lord, that we might be in better relationship with one another, Lord, but also for this town and for the nations of the world, Father, would you help us to be mindful? Lord, would you help us to be aware of the cultures and the traditions and the environments that we are speaking the gospel into Lord that we would again be willing to limit our own freedoms and choices that they might encounter you that they might be one to you so father I pray would you bless us this morning Lord and as we go out into this week I pray that you would send us father you'd send us commission to go to make disciples Lord to limit our freedoms that we might win others to Christ Father, I pray this week that we would each have an encounter with somebody, whether it's at work or um, in a family context or a neighbour, Father, that we'd each have somebody this week Lord, that we can go towards in love and in grace, Father, that we can go towards to, um, to share your love with them. Father, send us, I pray, from this place, Lord, that we might be um, disciples on mission. For your glory and for your namesake, we pray. Amen.